Hello again, this is Frieda Morrison, and welcome to the programme that celebrates your Scots culture. Knots, gnarls, wuzzles and ah. We'll tuck you on the journey that will guide you through our cultural ongangs. Some we'll kent and others will be new to you. But before we delve into that, let me introduce our soon sorter, the money that steers this programme. Through all the wiggly soon waves, welcome Richie Werner. Aye, aye, how are we doing, folks? Richie, this is our 60th Scots radio programme. What? 60? 60th, 60th. Come on. We've been through a lot. Lightning strikes. That's right enough. Nine thunder lightning struck the house and the, oh, the hill studio got blown forget. up. And then we had, oh, you, you became a father twice. I did twice. One of them sitting behind me the new. All right. <laughs> Hell of And then we have a new apprentice. The new loon is in the house. The new loon in the house. Lewis McLaughlin. Hello. Lewis, say something. Say hello. Hello. How's it going? See? He exists. Yeah, the sound of an assistant engineer. So, lightning strikes, fatherhood, Aye. new and apprentice. There you go. Ah, and the five. Five years, 60th anniversary. Richie, it has been quite a time. And we've been nominated three times for an award at the Celtic Media Festival. That's right, aye. And twice for our music content at the Trad Awards. Aye. We were pipped at the post aye, last year by a small but significant programme called Pipeline. Oh, I've heard of that. From BBC Radio Scotland. Pipped by the pipes. Richie, what do you make of that? Well, again, it's, it was hard. It was it's a bit of a swallow, but the guy who presents it is such a lovely it just, man. It just so happens that our studio guest presents that very programme. <gasps> Surely no. Proven as ever that we didn't harbour any wuzzles. We are near the wuzzling kind, Richie. Don't speak for yourself. We are near the wuzzling kind. <laughs> you harbour it. You harbour it. Well, Welcome to our studio guest, our special guest for our 60th anniversary programme, Piper and Chair of Tracks, Traditions and Culture Scotland, through the School of Celtic and Scottish Studies, Edinburgh University, Professor Gary West. Ta-da! Ta-da! Hey. That was a build-up. That was a build-up. Right, we have forgiven you for pipping us with the pipes at the post. I'm sorry about that, but uh, we, we had been pipped before, so I, it was our it was our time. I felt oh. it in my in my waters. You it was our time. You kept <laughs> it in your pips, right? <laughs> no, this is going to be a very special program. And money-wise, Gary, I'm I'm sitting looking at your new book just published called Jocks Jocks, and we'll dedicate this anniversary program to this book and the stories it contains. And the new one-act play you've just recorded in this very studio, which has been busy. This very studio. Very studio. Mm-hmm. Jocks Jocks is the title you've gained to the collection of stories gathered by the Wheel Kent folk singer Jock Duncan. Recorded by Jock via own 60 Scottish First World War veterans, mostly for the North East and Buchan's Breedlands. More on that in a minute. We're in your other hat, the Piper. You've just returned to Seattle. What were you doing there? I have. I, I, I was doing various things. I was playing my pipes, as is my word. Uh, teaching them a wee bit. Um, they're very into small pipes over there, the bellows tradition. And mm-hmm. I've been going over with Fred Morrison and various others for about 10 years now. And uh, so they get me over regularly. So that was fantastic. But it so happens that Jocks Jocks, the book, had just arrived. Oh. And we did a wee launch. So we've launched it in uh, the far end of America before mm-hmm. we've ever, before it had seen the licht of day here in Scotland. An so, international launch. So uh, that, was, that was brought and uh, folk were right into it. I had to do a fair bit of explaining what the... 
the book was about. What it was all about and how the language worked and everything. But um, aye, they, they, they seemed to go for it. And uh, so aye, that's what I was doing. A wee bit of concert, a wee bit of okay. speaking and a wee bit of launching. Well, we're about to get into the book and hear some extracts for your new play, Jocks Jocks. Afford that though. This is a track for your half-a-famous band, Cole Beg. Cole Beg. And any of my all-time favourite tracks at that. This is you featuring on the pipes. And the track is The Mazurka Set. Thank you. 
The Mazurka set for Cole Begg, and my special studio guest was, of course, playing the pipes on that track. Richie and myself are delighted to welcome Professor Gary West to Scots Radio in our Bonnie Studio in Leith. And that's still in my favourite tracks, Gary. And it, was, it was in my favourite sig tunes I heard for a, a file ago on, on a programme I presented for a long time on BBC Radio Scotland. Can you mind it? Out of doors? I mind it well. And uh, I remember waking up one morning <laughs> hearing that and thinking, I recognise that. Who's still in our tune? And are we going to get the royalties for it? <laughs> oh, yeah, did. It was in the days, of course, sing tunes were the fashion. Aye, I know, I know. But that takes me back here and that. That, that was a long time ago. That's but great, great days, great, great days. days. Sadly, great. some of these lads, Davy Steele, Aye. Peter Boone, no longer with us. But, uh, yeah, I, I thoughtly enjoyed we'll my We'll be playing in days, Davy's but... songs, of course, later on in the programme. Aye, right. So on with this edition, I mentioned earlier that we are dedicating this, our 60th Scots Radio programme, to Jocks Jocks. And I'm sitting with a book of that name, and with me is the author, Gary West. So, Gary, let's get you it. Fits in the book. Stories. Loads and loads of stories. Uh, so, I, you mentioned Jock, Jock Duncan. So, I've known Jock all my days because, of course, although he's from the northeast, he moved to Pitlochry, moved his family to Pitlochry before I was born. So, he's, a, he's just, he's been there as far as my memory is concerned. And I went to school with Gordon, the late Gordon Duncan, his youngest son, and Ian, his older son, taught me the pipes from a young age. So, you know, they've been part of my life all, all, all along, really. But I didn't know, and nobody knew, really that he had been doing this collecting of First World War stories from the veterans from about the 1930s. That's what he says in his typescript. And he was born in 1925, so he was literally a loon when he Mm -hmm. started this, right through to the 1980s, seeking out these uh, 59 or 60 veterans, recording them, sitting at a typewriter, and I have it on good authority, he was a one-fingered one typewriter. Finger typer. Not one Not one finger for each hand, but one, one <laughs> finger in total. And uh, I worked out it must have... It was a Sunday morning job for him, typing it up, and I, I worked out it must have taken him about 2,000 Sunday mornings, I think, to get wow. this done. I mean, Gordon used to say to me, I think my father's learning to type, because he's sitting up in the, every, every weekend, he sits upstairs there, and I'm hearing the typewriter going away, no off he fast. But this is what he was doing, and, and nobody can that's what he was doing. But um, So, yeah, um, about three, four years ago, I suppose, Ian handed me this typescript um, and said, my dad would like you to hear this. He's wondering if there's anything you could do to help maybe get it out there, and get well, it these published. Are the stories. And this was it. This was the complete wow. thing, the whole thing. So he sat and, uh, as I said, for 50 years more, uh, typing up all the stories he'd been collecting and of course uh, in very much transcribing it in the language in which they had spoken it to him so as you said earlier mainly North East so mm-hmm. mainly Gordon Highlanders but there's you know there's uh, the Merns, there's Angus there's Dundee, Perthshire up round my way, Pitlochry even down the borders he, he recorded some of the Freehoik and places a couple of Anzacs in there as well um, and so you know, there's, the, the, it was a, such a hugely special thing that he did. And I, I, I spoke to him and asked him why he did it. And, he, you know, he's he's very self-effacing, Jock. For mm-hmm. a man who's very outward going on the stage, mm-hmm. he's very quiet and self-effacing. He just said, ah, oh, well, I was just newsing with the neighbours, Ken. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he, he really plays it down. But, but it's a remarkable thing. So all we did, really, was... Um, you know, just knock it into a book form, really. And there was a lot of people who helped with that. And it was a lot of work, but a labour of love. Uh, We're going to hear it for the book in a minty. Well, the book is a thing, and it's just been published, as I said. Details to come later. But 
There's been a play just recorded in this very studio Mm -hmm. not long ago. A one-act play written by yourself Mm -hmm. based on the stories. Explain to folk how the play works and far's in it. Okay, so uh, when when Ian gave me the the typescript, I knew it was going to be a while before we would get it out as a book. You know, a lot of work to do. Uh, but I thought this stuff just needs to be heard, you know, and mm-hmm. and uh, it needs to get out there. And and I thought, oh, maybe a, a play would 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 work. And I, initially, I thought, well, we'll we'll sort of reenact some of the stories in it. And mm-hmm. then I thought that's not going to work because uh, I, 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 I don't know. I just thought it would be too hard. So basically, the play tells the story of what actually happened. So the setting is a kitchen table somewhere in Scotland, present day, mm-hmm. and there's uh, a few of us old old boys or middle-aged boys sitting around having a tune, having a dram, having a song. Uh, and then this young lad comes in and he's, uh, hopefully people get the idea that he's a young lad, a fiddler who joins us from time to time. Young for lad tune. being? Young lad being Charlie, my son in mm-hmm. real life. Uh, so... Um, Chris Wright and Scott Gardner are the other two and then myself so it's a four-hander I believe they call it in the trade Uh, so Charlie comes in and he brings in this manuscript and we say what's that and he says well give us a dram and uh, and you'll find out and and we say well give us a tune before you get a dram so anyway there's lots of dramming there's lots of dramming there's lots of singing lots of of tunes but basically we say well why have you got this he says well uh, I was sent it because my great grandfather was one of the men interviewed in the book and so we've chosen one of the men in there is that Alec McHardy that's Alec McHardy who just shone out as being kind of the key character let's just start with this extract okay and it just introduces Alec McHardy Alamey Hardy, Banff, enlisted, Aberdeen, age 16, 7th Gardens, 51st Division. Promoted as sergeant on the Somme by his major, who drew three stripes on the arm of his tunic with a blue pencil. Awarded military medal and wounded four times. Posted missing, presumed killed after the great German push of the 21st of March 1918, family informed. But survived and returned to take part in the 2nd Marne with the 51st near Reims. Oh aye, uh, here he is. Alex McHardy, 7th Gardens. And he says, When we marched to join the Battle of the Somme, it took 21 days. We fell out for 10 minutes every hour and stopped at a nicht, of course, sleeping just far we could. The cookhouse boilers keep it hot all the time. I ready to dish out the stew from the time came, and oh by God, who were I ready, I could tell you. The boilers were like the tarrians the roadmen kept. You can find. Mm-hmm. Well, that was the worst thing they ever did to us. Your feet never cured for a guid file, I can tell you. A guid file. Sounds like he's a bit of a character. <laughs> I will read on, you know, heard the half of it yet, tell you. We were getting ready to attack Bowman Hamel, and Major Milne come up on horseback. He shouts, Hey, you! and points at me. I thought, Holy God, fit of a Dean Rang new. <laughs> Some of the lads said, We're going to shoot you, men. Funny wise. Our right gangs and salutes. Major Milne says to me, McHardy, you've been a considerable time out here and have seen quite a lot of action. Have you got a pencil by any chance? I says, a pencil? Far would I get a pencil? At <laughs> <laughs> that, the adjutant produced a blue in, so Major Mill never come off his horse, but just racked out and drew three stripes on my arm. Now, he says, From now on, you're the sergeant of this platoon. <laughs> I never really did this carry on seriously, and a week after we had to parade, and the sergeant major picked me as right marker. Up comes Major Millen horseback to tack the inspection. Ah, Eins, he spots me and furls his horse about and he shouts at me, McHardy, what are you doing in the ranks? 
I says, Marker, sir. He says, Marker my arse. He then cries on the sergeant majors to tap me down to the tailors and wait until I had my sergeant stripes sewn on. He then says to me, I've never had a man refuse an order before. The sergeant major, I can't him fine. He belonged to Inch. <laughs> Speardfoot hop in at me, so I tell him. He had a greed laugh and said, <laughs> It's a wonder you wasn't short for doing that. Weel, weel, I was just a loon, you can. <laughs> just a loon. And of course, Gary, they were mainly just loons, weren't they? Oh, just, and mostly alfie bucking, as we said before. But loons. Uh, young loons. Young, young, young loons. And some of them younger than they were meant to be. You know, there's a uh. few stories in there of one lad in the Black Watch um, said he was 14 when he went. Of course, uh, this was a common thing. That maybe mm-hmm. not as young as that. As that. That's, the, that's the youngest I've ever heard of, but certainly 15, 16. And, of course, they lied, and some of them went back five, six times to get in, and eventually they just let them, you know. But, so, uh, but aye, aye. I mean, that's the thing we forget, you know. They're, uh, Charlie, my, my son, who we heard there, he's... Uh, what's he twenty now? And he would have been, you know, he would have been old for for some of them, know. you know. But aye. it just tucks you, tucks you by the throat, doesn't it? it does. Well, this is Scott Gardner telling the story of Frank McFarlane. Aye. Frank McFarlane, Forfar, first Black Watch. I joined up in 1912 on the 20th of February. I was 17 year old and five feet nine inches tall. I seen a Forfar lad that was a trooper in the lifeguards, and I thought I'd like to be in them because he was very smart in his uniform. He was tall and handsome and bra. So in I gazed to the recruiting office and said, I'm needing to join the lifeguards. The recruiting sergeant said, Ah, you can't join that here. You'd hate to go to London for that. Aside him was a placard in the wall of a Gordon Highlander. So I points to hit and says, What about them then? He says, Nah, you can't join that either. You'd hate to go to Aberdeen. Well, I said, What can I join? A black watch, of course. I'll join you up right away. So that was me joined. <laughs> the Black Watch, the 42nd Regiment. The famous 42. Behold, I am a soldier bold. I'm only 25 years old. A braver warrior never was seen. From Inverness to Gretna Green. When I was young, my father said he'd pit me to a decent trade. But I didn't like that job at all. So I went and I joined the forty-two. The wind may blow, the cock may crow, the rain may rain and the snow may snow, but you want a frickin' joke, my girl. The stupidest chill in the forty-two. A tour last fecht across the sea, the general he sends after me, and when I get there with my big gun, of course the battle soon was won, <laughs> for the enemy are ran awa, they were feared at the lengths of Jock McGrath, and a man like me say tall and neat, you can yourself could never be beat. Ha, ha, the wind may blow, the cock may crow, the rain may rain and the snow may snow, but you want a frickin' Jock McGraw, the sweetest chill in the forty-two. The king then held a grand review, we numbered a thousand and sixty-two. The kilty lads come marching past, and Jock McGraw come marching last. The royal party grabbed their sticks, and I began to 
streets their necks, cries the king to the colonel. Upon my soul, I took that man for a telegraph pole. Ah, the wind may blow, the cock may crow, the rain may rain and the snow may snow, but you want a frickin' Jock McGraw. The suit is chill in the forty the wind may blow, the cock may crow, the rain may rain and the snow may snow, but you want a frickin' Jock McGraw. The suit is chill in the forty Ah, good stuff. No, I thought we might run out, so I bought Jocks, jocks, and the gallant 42. And if you've just found us, this is Scotch Radio and a special edition of the programme. I'm Frida Morrison. Out in the wheelhouses are soon sorted Richie Werner. Aye, aye. And with me here in the studio is Piper and lecturer, writer, and new. Actor. actor, did you hear that? Did actor? you catch that? That was me acting. <laughs> acting? Acting. You came for, for the problem. I didn't know the difference between your voice, though, listening to it, and your loon's voice, Charlie. Aye. I was speaking that... to Richie about this. We still kind of find in our lungs, we listen to a lot of voices. Half yeah. are similar. I got very confused sound checking those two. Yeah. I have to tell you. Yeah. Who's who? But you think you're confused. I'm confused sometimes because I, I don't know if I've just said it or if it was him. <laughs> 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 We're speaking about Gary's new book and, and, and Jock's next in, in his one-act play that both featured the stories collected by folk singer Jock Duncan. They had 60 veterans for the First World War. Far more they collected, did you say? Well, Jock wrote in the manuscript, his typescript, that it, it began in the 30s. It just says between the 1930s and the 1980s. Now, as I said, he was born in 25. So even if it was, you know, right at the end of the 30s, he was, you know, mid-teens, really, so... So, uh, but to begin with, he was just writing them down, mm-hmm. uh, and then he started recording from, I suppose, the sixties or thereabouts. So, uh, you know, in some cases, it was quite a while after the event that these men were were remembering. You know, but the detail that they've got is just amazing. It's you know? Amazing, you'll hear yeah, it, some yeah, of this in the minute. Yeah, I've asked yeah. you to select some uh, some of the stories for the book. Give you a first thing. Hi. So here's uh, Alec Barlow, who was in the first Gordon Highlanders, and. Uh, I mean, this. I just chose this one just now because it, it just shows, I suppose, the tenacity of some of these men who just didn't get up. Anyway, he said, There was a lad, Davy Burnett, with me. He was in the war for the start and had been fiat round the Tarawai before the war. Now, do you ken that lad had nae nerves at all? Aye, he had nae fear. He was a guyly wild lad at the best of times. Well, he was wounded five times. Dave tell me when it was the fourth time, the doctor just shooed him up and he was teened down to a place they called the knackery. <laughs> this was because there was nae hope of them getting better and were teened down to D. He was told they could get anything they wanted, so they only had to spear. So he asked for a scotch and they gave him it. Now to Croonaw, he pulled through and he got back into the scrap again and got wounded a fifth time when he was wee me. This time his leg had to come off and that was him. Finished wait. He married in Goodawa Sooth and he did well, but when he came to Tara, he aye looked me up for a news and a laugh. It's same matter of fact, isn't Just it? Just matter of fact. And uh, actually, Alec Barlow, who told that story, um, there was a, a lovely coincidence there as well. Uh, he had he had actually been shot through both cheeks. The, the bullet went through one and right through his mouth and out the other. And he, in the book, he, he complains that the worst thing was he couldn't smoke his fags. You know, he couldn't smoke his fags because of the holes in his cheek. But anyway, I was um, having a blether with uh, a mate of mine, a piper, a guy called Callum Beaton. We played together in the Glasgow Police recently. 
And he was saying, uh, I didn't tell that story, but I was just talking about the collection. He said, oh, I, I, my granddad was uh, in the Gordon Highlanders. And then he said, you know, he was shot through both cheeks. I remember, I remember the oh. bullet hole, bu- both bullet holes. I went, it wasn't Alec Barlow, was he? He went, aye, that was him. Wow. It was an amazing coincidence. So he sent some photos and there's some nice photos of Alec. So Alec, you got the photo? Uh, aye, in the, in the, in the centre of the book there, but... Uh, I mean, it's just. It's just like, we'll hear, stuff, we'll hear another, another couple of stories right. in Indy. But I'm privileged, Gary, to be able to play some extracts through Jock Duncan's original recording. Aye. This is Jock speaking to Bert Gow through New Deer in Aberdeenshire. Oh, mm-hmm. One of the great characters and, and uh, worthy is a Bohan. Carry on, Bert. Oh, oh well, it was Spider, his loans. No lasses who were in the work family of our Bibles. So we just argued about the war, hell five us from the war. Ian get his dad and Els. Ian was in the Fifth Gordons, Ian was in R.E.'s, I was in artillery, and Jimmy was in A.C. So that was the five of us hour. And with our luck to come back, that was a great thing. Mm-hmm. So that was it. So, oh well, it just... I, I was just up here apprentice tailor, you see, at that time, mm-hmm. with Watts. But I was just new begun to be a tailor for now. Get out of the war. So, oh well, the ship had me over the water. And then I cattle trucks and up to the firing line. And, and Bert, uh, was it throw horse or a field artillery? A field artillery. Field artillery. So field artillery. Fit guns did he fire? Uh, yeah. 18 pound. Oh, 18 pound shells were fired. I was neighbour Dean City Brigade. 255 Brigade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they'd been... Uh, sent horse, horses at that time. And death did he go to? death was he sent out to France. Oh, well, I'm the giant about... Oh, well, war, war started about... When that started in 1914. Yes. 15, I would have been a while already. So it was a little sad. Thank you. Uh, white, please. Mm-hmm. Bit of card talk, I'd like. No, it's all right. Probably yes. one. And... It'd been a guy seen reef and he got there. So, oh well, the war finished him in. And I come home, I come into, over to Dunkirk and, and for Dunkirk I got to, over to, into Tobery Docks. And that was a finish off. We come home to there. So. And about, uh, you'd been, uh, you know, in 15, was he at Lose? Uh, oh well, I get through the battle of Somme. Did you? And then Passchendaele. Oh, tell me about the, the, the battle of the song. Oh, well, that wasn't a great deal. We came, we lost an half a man here. That was just a tragedy, you see. No, I... The other day, Lord said, they, they kept firing for wicks. Oh, the, the, the shells. Yeah. Oh, I... Oh, I... We lost an half a man here. If you read about it... Mm-hmm. I read about it a lot. It was an half a man. Nothing but men and horses lying over. He was just waiting on there. You can know, it was a disaster. And we didn't talk... I... Some of them grunts would have thought, you see. No, and, no. Did, uh, and did the horses bring in the, the ammunition shells? Oh, yes, you see, there was a, the gun teams, six horse teams, you see. Yeah. And you had the gun team, the firing battery team, and the first line wagon team, you see. Well, you see, the firing battery and them drove the shells up. Uh-huh. 72 shells were brought up at teams, you see. Uh-huh. That's for the, right. the wagon carrier. Jock Duncan speaking to World War One veteran Bert Gowfey New Deer. And I'm grateful to Ian Duncan, Jock's son, for that recording. It's it's a, a treasure.
1915, Van Bert went out to fecht in the trenches, Gary. In there, Bert was speaking about wipers, or the Battle mm-hmm. of the Somme. Can uh, you tell us how, how many folk died again in the Battle of the Somme? Oh, a couple of million, I think, in total. I mean, the first day of the Somme, uh, there was it was the worst losses the British right. Army had ever lost in one day before or since. I think there was about 20,000. In fact, I've got it right here. 19,240 killed on day one of the Somme. Day one. Day one alone. Uh, I mean, it was just awful. And a lot of the problem was, uh, as we heard there, they were firing shells and the whole whole idea was to break the, the enemy barbed weir, as it's called mm-hmm. often there, the barbed wire. But they weren't getting their, their range right. And so with some of the attacks, like at High Wood, for example, which was on the Somme, uh, they weren't able to get through the get through the, the wire and that's why casualties were so bad but as some of the photos in the in the book show it's, it was just a quagmire you know it was just, just hellish and, and people I mean an, an amazing the number of people who drowned believe it or not uh, what happened was the shell holes I mean these are uh, shell holes are you know feet and feet and feet deep and because it was flat and near the river plain they just flooded and a lot of people actually drowned they couldn't get out of them once they were in they couldn't get out so you know there's all these wee things that you don't no. never really hear about or think it's about it's a hell on earth I'm going to go back to a play for a minute mm-hmm. this is your shell introducing some Wheel Kent Pipers and the losses in September 1917 the 3rd Battle of Wipers we piped our companies into battle, but we didn't get very far. There the mud became an enemy when the rains came. Among the pipers, I met some great characters in the various regiments. One of the greatest was Pipe Major Willie Laurie of the Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders. He was a fantastic player and composer. Sadly, he took that terrible killing flu just when the war ended and died. A sad loss to piping. He and my father were great friends. That was Piper McLeod, 4th Black Watch again, but... A lot of famous names in there, boy. Mm-hmm. Willie Laurie, Balahooli, she composed probably the most famous tune of all from the Great War. I bet there's not a piper in the world can he play the Battle of the Somme. Geordie mm-hmm. McLennan as well, the great G.S. McLennan, one of the finest composers and players that ever mm-hmm. lived, by all accounts. But, mm-hmm. We're getting a real education here today. Well, Jen, let's uh, put that to the test and let's see if every piper does know uh, Battle of the Somme. Most pipers in the world. <laughs> the Time to end your dram then, eh? Aye, okay. What's well, let's uh, next? Give it a go here. Battle of Somme, and then what's uh, something from what's his name? Jordy McLennan. G.S. McLennan. Aye, well, oh. we're spoilt for choice with him. Uh, we'll we'll play one of his jigs. Well, here, think yeah. about it. Aye. Here we go. Thank you. 
by Jordi McLennan. stuff Gary that and then you're going on to speak about the horses and the job that they did and they played an half important role alongside the soldiers Mesa Far had just come off the parks plowing with the horses aye, of course aye. so many stories about young soldiers shouting to their horses across the battlefields aye. and the horses responding back yep. Brax ahead I didn't mind saying that I had a few tearful moments listening to Bert Gow's stories in your play just to remind folk, you're listening to Scots Radio on Freedom Morrison and my special guest is Professor Gary West, speaking about his new book, Jock's Jocks, and his play of the same name, about stories collected by Jock Duncan, the First World War veterans, run about the book in Mesley. Gary, another story for the book. Aye, well, since we've just been talking music there and piping, uh, I thought I'd pull one out that uh, isn't specifically about the war, actually, but the, the, the great thing about what Jock did was the context. You know, he... He got them to speak a lot about what life was like before the war and after the war and, you know, the whole context that these men had come for. And, of course, music was such a part, well, such a part in Jock's life. His mother was a, a very fine piano player. His, his uncle was a, a fine fiddler. And, his, uh, you know, it was very much in the family. Um, so, anyway, here's, here's just a wee snippet uh, from Willie McGregor, who was in the Lovett Scouts. He said, uh, Scott Skinner was a great player. I heard him once in Forest, 1912. His manager had a devil of a time getting him going, what with the booze that night. But he could play. He was asked to play his composition, The Laird of Drum Blair, which he did magnificently and intimated to the audience, packed out that Glenlivet was his personal favourite. <laughs> it's not a tune like Glenlivet, he said. He was a cute little man, he was Scotty. He came to various places like Keith and Broadrashes and picked up a lot of tunes off Fouke, like McCarran, a friend of mine, and he just scribbled them out like a flash. 
There was no so many triplet notes at that time, and when he played them again, he had them finished off nicely with plenty of triplets. Plenty of triplets. Plenty of triplets. So uh, I thought it was a nice wee, uh, just a wee vignette of uh, his memories. Again, you see, it's that. But we're going to go on later on, speaking about Jock's ability to get the stories out of folk. You can get folk to speak, to get the manners to speak. It was a talent in its end. Oh, absolutely. This is Jock speaking again to Bert Gow about the, the Battle of the Marne. We was putting the right, don't they, Barley Martin? That's how on the suit of France. They, they transported you down there, there was a man to help me out. Uh-huh. And uh, did they just stuck you down with train? Train? Oh, he yeah. said, oh, oh yes. And we uh, were loading, I have to take them in the dark. Ah, for the horse front we left, yes. you see. Mm-hmm. And we get right, don't they? And it's eight horse in a wagon, you see. Yes. Four facing this way, four facing that way, a rope across the front of them, and a harness in the middle. Oh. And just the same bombs and the guns and nothing. You know, get him on. Just when the demons broke through. That's right. That he was through there. Well, it was when we get there now, it was French colonials. Oh. It was hard in the line. Lads like Turks. Oh. And they were all coming down over it. It was hardly hailing them in. And we was putting in there, you see. Uh-huh. And oh, it was a good buckle of loons. It was a Jimmy Barrack and some of that village loons was all killed there, say. Oh, right. But we was not long in action there. No. Uh-huh. And we come back and we sleep it now with a water bucket. It was relief to clock French battalions. Uh-huh. We see it. They never seen healing men. They never no. seen British soldiers. It's you see. Uh-huh. Do they? I do it. Fine, but a country. Oh, man. Woods and, uh-huh. and clean country. Besides up in Flanders, you see. And then we'll on the drive back. We'll ship it right back up to Arras front again after that. Mm-hmm. But Mike was the was the Battle of Arras the 51st Division was well it was just set and plug on plug on just set on for oh a long time just never moving again in Arras the Battle song for you boys commenced with the midline month of July that's right mm-hmm. that's right oh, oh yeah right. right and then it get on and get on till well you see wow the 21st of March now what was it Coming on to, in, we don't know why anyway, that was a German's oh, hymn's plunge at 21st of March. Oh, yeah, yeah, Oh, drag it there. Oh, we lost armor guns and nothing. Oh, lost a half of horses. Lost a couple of lads. Nasty, eh? I made my horse. Two, I was in the gun team. It was a deck horse, my half horse, and it was sailing with eight inch. Good, it was just a strip of shrapnel get in about a 50 men a deck horse that had their names you see with mm-hmm. named Arrow and he got right out of his tail oh, and the blade was just flowing over but he was alright you see alright mm-hmm. he was alright we lost two two gun teams there that day D subs gun I was a C subs gun team and I'll never forget it you can we couldn't get our guns we tried to get them but no no the lead driver was killed the centre driver was killed, and that lad Stalker was wheel driving. He was just burnt across the chin a wee bit. Of, he was over my lane. He was horse house must have to put up a lot, did Oh, well, that's his attitude. Ah, they put up with an awful lot. Ah, they did. The same yeah. horses, uh-huh. pure beasts. They were gay big targets, so there was only... Well, you're just right there, and I said that more at a time. See, if... A shell burst there and a buckle horse there. It was bound to get some of that shrapnel. The, the big animal, you see. 
thought maybe a human loan wouldn't have been touched again, you see. Mm-hmm. All right. Bert Gow speaking to Jock Duncan and Bert goes on to tell Jock about the horses being routed at Mons and they didn't attack the horses home with them and he says the French farmers were awful pleased to get the horses for their farms. And the play guardian tells a story about the horses or the shelts as they refer to them being teen for the gigs outside the kirk and five when folk were inside the kirk. Aye. Did they just come out of the kirk? And- well, so it seems so. As three or four different men all mentioned that, that, that they went to the kirk on a Sunday morning at five and uh, they arrived with, or the better off ones arrived with their shelts and gigs and they came out and there was only gigs. The shelts had been teen. <laughs> So, uh, aye, there was uh, requisition in the horses, of course. And, uh, Just suddenly out of the kirk? Aye. The, well, the, 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 the that's the way they tell it anyway. I don't know if they left an <laughs> IOU. And <laughs> or what, we but, have teen your shirts. Aye, we're teen your shirts. OK, aye. this is for your play again. This is Scott Gardner in the cast with Davy Steele's lovely song about the last day of the horses on the ferm. This is The Last Trip Hymn. Have I worked on ferms? And frae the start The muckle horses won my head We big strong backs they'll proudly stand The uncrowned kings of a' the land And yet for other strength and fame They're as gentle as a summer's wind so steady, boys, walk on Our work is nearly done No more we'll till or plough the fields The horse's day is gone And this will be our last trip home so steady, boys, walk on. Now I've seen men sing their songs of praise Of Arab stallions in a race Hunters who fly with the hounds To chase the fox and run him down but none of them compares, I vow, to the working pair that pulls the plough. So steady, boys, walk on. Our work is nearly done. No more will tell or plough the fields. The horse's day is gone. And this will be her last trip home So steady boys walk on
as we head back Our friends have lined The road to see us One last time For none of them Would want to miss The chance to see us Pass like this They'll say this all In years to come The muckle horses Last trip home So steady boys walk on Their work is nearly done No more will tell or plough the fields The horses' day is gone And this will be her last trip home so steady boys walk on Their work is nearly done No more will tell or plough the fields The horse's day is gone And this will be her last trip home So steady boys walk on Wow, beautiful, beautiful version there. The last trip home, Davy Steele's classic song. You're listening to Scotch Radio. I'm Frida Morrison, and my special guest is Professor Gary West, speaking about his new book, Jocks, Jocks, and his play of the same name, about stories collected by Jock Duncan, the First World War veterans, Runabout Buchan Mestley. No. Back to you, Gary, for another story for the book. I should just say that song was, means a lot to me personally because uh, it was actually written for my uncle, Will West. I mind you say that. Who was a horseman, a great horseman. He was had the horseman's word and all that. He was a Perthshire man. And uh, I, Davey, I, I'd been interviewing Will and uh, a bit like Jock had been interviewing all his and men. And your uncle kept every name of the horse he'd ever kept. Oh, aye, you could just rattle them off like that. Aye, there was a couple that. of dozen of them. So, um, uh, aye, Davey wrote the, the song about Will's last day uh, working horses before the tractors came in, which he hated. So, aye, it's a very special song, that, so we, we wow, managed to get it in there into the play. So, aye, aye. Anyway, right, um, this time Alec McCarty, who we've heard from already and mm-hmm. mentioned already, and he, he just shines out really from the collection as a real character. Well, there's so many characters in it, but um, him in particular, I think. He was in the 7th Gordon Highlanders. Uh, anyway, here he said, Our company was resting, just waiting to gang into action at Highwood, so I was half asleep, Ken, when I got a big kick to waking up. This was to alert me to the adjutant coming up. He told me that I'd been recommended for the MM, that's the military medal, and I was that tired, I could hardly take in what he was saying. Anyway, a few weeks on, I was lying in hospital in Manchester, he'd been injured. There was twa us Scots together, and ADS spotted twa MPs approaching their beds, military police, and he says, Mechty me, if I ever done grand new. <laughs> <laughs> he said that a few times in the collection. Well, they came up to me, and any of them speared if I was McCardy, and I says I was. Oh, well, he says, I beg to inform you that you have won the military medal. You're being asked if you would like to be presented with it in hospital, or would you rather wait to be presented with it in front of your regiment? We like Ent the Hill Battalion would have to be paraded for an affair of that kind, and I didn't care for that of ah. So I says to the red cap, Nah, nah, that's our muckle bother. Come awa, wait. 
just Giza had it. <laughs> and I says, you'll have to wait a week. We'll get up a high-ranking officer and do it in style. Well, the matron was rich good to me, and she get up a do for me, and I got presented without much bother and ceremony, and she even laid on a cake for me. So that was Alec McCarvey getting his... typical. So no, no, they didn't want to go to the bother nah, with the regiment. They didn't bother them. They fuss. They fuss. Absolutely. <laughs> no, so back to the play again. One last story for Chris Wright. This is him speaking about the Battle of Wipers. At the Battle of Third Wipers, we gave over the top, and a lad from Cummiston was with me, but he fell down dead before we got very far. Another lad and me at Eans seemed to be on in. We'd gone further for it in the lave. Two Germans raised up and gave themselves up, and the Fowrus just sat down in a shell hole and had a news as best we could. <laughs> that was Albert Conan from Tura, the Fifth Gordons. When we got out first at Mont St. Elian in 1914, a side anchor, there was only three graves in the kirkyard. They were airmen. And when we came back again the next year, I'll swear, there were six acre of graves. Jimmy Reid, Afford, Six Gardens. I had a cousin in the gardens blown to pieces. When I was on home on leave, I went up to see his mother in New Deer to offer my condolences. She showed me a photograph of his grave. I didn't say anything. Well, that's what so makes me sad for the mothers. None of the dead were... Buried in real grave, but just on the battlefield. Alec Robertson, Gunnory, 5th Gordons. Echtes were sent to the Machine Gun Corps for the Gordons to train a Wadoon in England. Hardly only come back. The lads from my area were Wally Horn for Turra, he was killed. Jimmy Cow for Rainey, and a lad Harper for Rothy were wounded, and I didn't think cured at Richt and deed after the war. There were seven Wallies in a class at Woodhead Scale, including my own brother, well, you can. None of them come home for it. Dodgarl, Galahill, Gicht. I ain't skied three days without a kilt. <laughs> 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 we were out on a raid and to attack prisoners and uh, Jerry Kent was on the go and opened up on us with machine guns. Well, I made a breach for cover and got stuck fast on the bird weir. I had to get out there quick, so I just loused off the kilt. <laughs> Just classic stories, Gary. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. we're near the end of the programme. And thank you for sharing. Already? Oh, that's I, been quick. Uh, that's no, been quick. I, we've got so much to speak about, but <laughs> we'll hate to tell folk how to get the book. I think. Thank you for sharing all this with us, and congratulations to you and the cast and for your book. We need now to impart the information about the book. Okay, far was it published by? Okay, so it's a joint venture between the European Ethnological Research Centre, which sounds awfully posh, it's part of Edinburgh University that I'm involved with, and with the National Museum of Scotland, uh, NMS Enterprises Limited. So it was a joint venture between the two of us, uh, and it's called Jock's Jock's Voices of Scottish Soldiers from the First World War. And it's Jock Duncan's book, really. Um, he's, you know, he's the author. He's credited as the author because he's done all the work. We just, um, I think I'm there as editor and there's lots of others helped. Gordon Highlanders Museum were very helpful. A lot of other people have, have uh, put a huge amount of work into it. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's available now. It's, um, you can get it, well, in, in all good retail outlets, I think. And you can get it online, actually, from the National Museum. 
they're selling it from their shop there and from uh, you know the usual places shall we say and uh, we're hoping to to get out and about and do some tour it a bit tour, tour the play a wee bit um, oh, we'll help you with that as well aye Scott that would Trigger. be great we've done it th- four or five times I think over the last couple of years but uh, we, we haven't ventured into the North East I've been too feared to take it to the heartland oh so. you have nothing to fear <laughs> nothing to fear you'll be so, welcome uh, aye watch the space for the next few months we hope to get out and about and do the place before mm-hmm. we we'll finish no, am I right in thinking last year you went across to some of the battlefields to visit some of the battlefields we did aye that was with the Athol Highlanders actually I'm oh. with the Athol Highlanders uh, in their pipe band with Ian Duncan who's the pipe major Jock's uh, eldest son uh, so I that was uh, a real well you know it's you can't even put that into words really yeah. it was uh, just to see and feel and smell the places that they that they were it helped enormously actually just putting the final touches to the boot just so I could visualise some of these places mm-hmm. you know like I would you hear so much about high wood and it's a wee puckle of trees at the top of a hill, you know, it's just tiny and, you know, it's, it's just been able to visualise some of these places. And there's, so there's lots of photos we've gathered together from various places to try and give a visual side as well. But it's all about the, the men and their, their voices, mm-hmm. really. Well, thank you for joining us on our 60th anniversary programme. Congratulations. 60, Richie. Brilliant. Gary, you've made it very special. So we're going to say our cheery buys the new fate, Richie and Gary. And our new Lou and Lewis. Gary Lewis is, is there. Yeah. And for me, thank you for joining us, Abadie, with the 60 programmes. And we finish with that part of the play at the Iron Fan, referring to the men, Gary, that Jock spoke to and collected their stories. You ask, fit sets these men apart. What's your answer? They all came home. They all came home. They all came home to share their stories. And as you say in the play, it took a very special man to get them to tell their stories. That's the other element in this. Jock Duncan. So we finish with Jock. And the end of the play, Gary Heastyback. This is Jock Duncan. To Jock Duncan, collector of stories. Uh-huh. You did some great lads. Mm-hmm. And then you're some gullis, brutes here. Here's McCarney. What a lad. What a lad. What a lad to record he was. <laughs> he, he was a big hardy man. They made him sergeant at 16. He, again, it looks as if he would have up. 16. They made him sergeant. Because the, the, the CO says, send that boy over here. McCarney says, you're coming out of the trunks with your pencil. Put you down here, pencil. And he got a uh, colour pencil for something. And he, he wrote this three. Next week he come back and McCarty was still in the ranks. Right. He didn't think he deserved it. Uh-huh. Took that man out of the air, he says. Got the three stripes. Hi, Fairley. Aye. To Jock Duncan, collector of stories. Jock Duncan. And his lads. The lads who came home and the lads who didn't. The Jocks. <laughs> Aye, Jocks, Jocks. Jocks, Jocks. 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 Jocks.